Good all. How many people would have loved to have the opportunity to just stay in a little while longer this morning, maybe sleep in, right? Isn't this one of those days at the end of summer where it starts to get a little cooler, right? You work all night tossing and turning to get that pillow just right, right? And then what happens? The alarm goes off, right? Time to get up. Well, I feel you. I'm the same way. I know it can be a little bit sleepy when you first get there, but I do think that the Word of God is so packed full of things, we really need to get ourselves excited each and every time at the opportunity to come hear from what God would have us learn each day. So in that way, it's a very joyous time, and it's a sunny time in here, S-O-N-N-Y, right? Time, every time we come in and honor His Son, Jesus. Today, uh, I'm fortunate we find ourselves in continuing in Genesis, to follow Jim from last week where he covered the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Specifically, that lesson for us was when tempted by sexual sin to run and avoid it at all cost. Right? It's sound advice for those times when you have a choice. And in all times we know, right, God creates a way out for you, but sometimes that way out is a way through and not necessarily just running. Right, so today we're going to cover more of Joseph's story. Right, for those times when you're called to stand up to the temptation and exist within the temptation and lean on God to deliver you. What about when you're called to be that faithful within there? Right, we don't often think of trying or tempting. We're staying in the midst of that as something that's enjoyable, right? Most of us have no problem whatsoever when we have tough times and we're in these valleys that naturally come in life to turn towards the Lord, right? It's very natural for us to go into his word, look for that guidance, look for that consolation. Truth be told, at times when I step back, I feel pretty guilty about that. Right? And you might say, what? Guilty? You should never feel guilty for turning to God. And I agree with you. Right? But the point that I'm trying to make here is sometimes I, I turn to God purely selfish reasons. Right? During those times in the valley, isn't it easy for me to focus on myself and not God? Right? When I open that Bible, what am I really saying sometimes? Deliver me. Right? Take me out of this situation. Right, Make it more comfortable for me. What about those times where you're to be uncomfortable for God? What about those times where he wants you exactly in that situation? Right? How do we handle that? On the flip side, what about the good times? How do we handle the good times when everything is going well? Right When we've recently gotten a promotion, I have a sense that in this church, based on where it's located, right, our prosperity rivals the prosperity that's experienced within the world. Right, you ever hear that saying, first world problems, third world problems, right? You hear that difference? So much of our suffering could really be in that first world problem category. 
right? And we turn to God on things in our prosperity that others would look at with pure joy. And we look at it as suffering. So today, as we look into continuing our study in Genesis, let's look at Joseph, right? Who coming through that temptation, who had that time in the pit, on his continuing journey and where God's taking him in a time of prosperity, right? Success and prosperity can be hard on a person. Not many can handle that new authority, right? Or new freedoms that come with it. How often do we see successful pastors, athletes, businessmen, or government officials fall? Right? Saul fell when success came. And so did David and Solomon. Unfortunately, prosperity and the temptations that come with it often cause many to fall. Chuck Swindoll had this observation. He said, few people can live in the lap of luxury and maintain their spiritual, emotional, and moral equilibrium. Sudden elevation often disturbs balance, which leads to pride and a sense of self-sufficiency. And then, a fall. It's ironic, but more of us can hang tough through a demotion than through a promotion. And it's at this level a godly person shows himself or herself strong. Is that true? Can you agree with that statement? Sometimes, absolutely. Right? In, in those times where we are experiencing the blessings of God in long time, meant for us to enjoy, right? but meant for us to sustain and go forward, is a time the enemy can use to come in. We don't always have to be at that lowest point. That highest point is a point of severe temptation as well. With that said, there's probably no greater success story than Joseph's, right? Not only does he go from rags to riches within 24 hours, but he also handles the sudden elevation well. Not only to his benefit, but the benefit of many. He goes from prison to overseeing all of Egypt which was probably the most powerful nation during that time period. Most people couldn't handle such a quick elevation. Certainly, we see this with professional athletes. In 2009, there was an ESPN article that came out that said 78% of all NFL football players would be broke within two years of leaving the NFL. 78%. That was 2009, and since then it prompted the formation of a huge program where they teach financial literacy to all the new people coming in. Why is that? I think Chuck's got it, <laughs> right? What happens with these? You see them everywhere. I still remember vividly, if you're a Ravens fan, you maybe remember the name Mark Clayton. Remember him, right? One of our first-round draft picks that we had. He was going to be the new receiver for Baltimore at a time where we really needed some. ESPN did an article with Mark Clayton, and right after he had been drafted by the Ravens, and he bought a new home for his mom, he was rolling tough with this big new hoopty, right? He brought out and got this beautiful car that he had all decked out. He had brand new chains and everything else. And the announcer asked him, how did you pay for all that? 
right? On the ESPN article, Mark Clayton said, oh, people will give you all kinds of credit. They know how much money I'm going to make. And I just thought, oh, good luck, <laughs> right, at the time. Now, I don't have any statistics on where Mark is at, but that's a very tough thing to come through, right? That sudden elevation, that sudden success. Now, in God's sovereign plan, Joseph had 13 years of slavery in prison to prepare him for this elevation. And his example tells us something about how to properly handle success and prosperity. We learn not only from how he handles his personal success, but how he handles Egypt's prosperity as governor. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Genesis 41. Now, I'm going to read the entire chapter today. And I know some of you are thinking, what, we got a Ravens game today, Bill? Well, don't worry. I promise I'll get you there by halftime. No, I'm kidding. We'll be out of here long before that. I want you to be able to uh, just concentrate on what we're doing. So turn with me in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 41. And I'll go through and read all of this to you. Okay. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to the Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night. He and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Verse 14, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh. Now pay close attention here. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. 
Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good years. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to the Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not per perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph 
went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the flood or all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. It's quite a story. So I told you we were going to look into some insight for how Joseph handled that prosperity. And I encourage us, as we do, right, not just to look at how Joseph was, right, but are there things that God would speak to us to do in our situation as well? So looking to Joseph's example, I'm basically going to point out three main aspects for you. First, we're going to see where Joseph gave the credit to God. Second, we're going to see how Joseph sought God in everything that he did. And third, we're going to see where he trusted God in everything that he did. Specifically, giving the credit to God, Joseph was motivated by giving glory to God. So God's glory, God's glorification was primary purpose to Joseph. In seeking God, he sought his wisdom, his will, and his direction. In trusting God, he was a faithful steward of his family, his finances, and work. So let's start. Let's look at this. Give the credit to God. In verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. Now, this is that awesome setup, isn't it? What if your boss comes to you at work and says, I have a job and no one is really suited for it. And you know that you are. What's the temptation that comes across right off the bat? You got the right one right here, right? I'm the one for you, boss. 
Let me tell you my resume. Right? I started out on my father's farm, and he put me in charge of everything, even though I was the youngest over all the other brothers. Right? I ran everything that he did, and it was successful. It was so successful, my brothers got jealous and threw me in a pit. Right? But then I went from that pit and was sold into slavery, and even those slave owners saw that I could just do so much, right, that I was given that. I went from there into Potiphar's house, and I really turned that around, right? You're going to give his whole resume. And really, he, you could say he was justified. He could have done that. But he didn't, right? Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Right? Joseph wasn't concerned about, at this time, Right in self-aggrandizing or making himself look better in others' eyes. Right, it wasn't as important to him to be the man and show all of his credentials and everything that he could. What was most important to him was that God rightly get the glory. Right? And this is not some feigned right chance of humility. Oh, it's not me. It's God. God made my circumstances. Right? This is a man who's been tried and tested at this point in his life, at his 30 years. Right? He's seen when he's done wonderful things, right, that he's been exalted because of those wonderful things. He's seen when he's done wonderful things, he's been thrown in prison. Right? They tempted to murder him when he does wonderful things. So he knows intimately right, that no matter what he does, he can be exalted or he can be thrown down. And he points directly to the person who exalts and throws down. Right? Look in here. I love it, too. Because it's not just that one statement. It's through everything that he tells. Right? Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. He doesn't just say, oh, this is the credit to God. Let me tell you now what I know because, you know, God gave it all to me. Oh, he goes right back in. Every single thing he says, it's as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Right? And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the, the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Joseph's life was a testimony to the true and living God. His entire life. And he recognized that. Whether he was in the pit or whether he was about to be exalted into the palace, didn't matter to Joseph. What mattered to Joseph was that God be glorified with his life. What an example. How else does he give the credit to God? Perhaps Joseph knew right of the scriptures. Psalm 75, 4 to 7 says, I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. What is your horn? Right, some people say, well, that's the type of person that toots their own horn. Well, it could be. But a lot of times, horn is symbolism for your family, right? Your offspring and everyone else, right? To just kind of show the, where you're boastful. It says, do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not in haughty neck. I love this, right? I've said this before, too. When you go back in the original Hebrew, Hebrew language is like American Indian. 
right? Dances with wolves. They talk about things. They give you pictures, right? When they're talking about a centurion, he who stands by the gate guarding would be what the name was. And here, I love how they say this right here, right? He speaks with haughty neck. Haughty neck means you've got to stretch that neck way up there to get that nose in the air, right? So they give you that picture, right? For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Do we know that? Do we remember that in prosperity? That's probably the better question. How about 1 Samuel? We look at that scripture. 1 Samuel 2.30 says, Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Good warning there. How about Psalms 23, 1 to 3? Everybody knows this psalm, one of the most well-quoted psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for my elevation and exaltation. No, it doesn't say that. Right? What's it say? For his name's sake. God does things for his glory. Right? Joseph knew and had the example that his life, primary purpose, was to bring God glory. But he didn't just point that credit and give that credit. We talked about that. Joseph actively sought God. So we see in Matthew 6.33, right, another famous, very familiar verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We get it. We hear it. We know this. Do we forget it in the midst of prosperity? And what is the kingdom of God? That's when God is rightly on the throne. Jesus, right, when teaching the Our Father prayer to his disciples, said, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, let earth be like heaven where God rules and everyone rightly bows their knee to him. That was Jesus' thought and prayer. It's Joseph's in the example. Right? Maybe not stated exactly the same way, but definitely modeled in action in that way. Joseph's advice to Pharaoh displayed exceptional wisdom. In fact, we can see God's fingerprints all over it. Despite the Bible not being specific, about how Joseph came upon it. Because Joseph has already given God the credit for interpreting the dream, it would be foolish for us to think that the advice he gives is not part of that interpretation. Therefore, God is still the author. Let's look at how exceptional the wisdom is contained in Joseph's advice to Pharaoh in verses 33 to 36. It says, now for let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Why do we have to put somebody over the land of Egypt? Can't you just say, 
hey, want to tell everybody in the nation that in seven years from now, there's going to be a famine, so everybody starts saving. Right? Why can't we do that? Oh, right? He knows human nature. He knows we're flawed. What do we do? What do most people do in good times? Spend. It's exactly what you do, right? Oh, it's great. We got a great thing. Gas prices are low, right? Let's go on a trip. We just got out of the pandemic, right? I've got a good job. I've got good money. Let's go on that big trip. Let's run from here to there. Right, let me spend, get the things that I want because for two years I denied myself during the pandemic. Right, it's what most people do. It's kind of human nature. Joseph knows that. God tells Joseph, don't leave this to the people. Right? Because if you leave them to their own ways, they're not going to end up in the right place. But then he goes on. He says, let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land. What's the significance in one-fifth? Anybody ever heard this thing called a tithe? Right? What a tithe is, is one-tenth. So by saying one-fifth, what he's saying is double it. Think about how wise that is, how simple that is. Hey, you're prosperous now. You've got more than you can handle. All I'm going to do is double what you've got. Right? And what I take from you. Now, the word doesn't tell us, but, you know, it'd be very logical to think that there were a lot of people that objected to that right off the bat. Right? What? What right does he have to double taxes in this time when we're doing so well? And all he's doing is putting it in this big storehouse. You see those things they're building in the middle of the city? I'm sure there were people right and left. And so he appoints overseers. When Pharaoh gives Joseph his signet ring earlier on, what that symbolizes is that Joseph has the power to make decisions. He's second only to the Pharaoh on the throne. The throne is the only one who can overrule him. Pharaoh walks him through the street, right? Makes sure that everybody bows down to him. Why? I think it's because Pharaoh knew people aren't going to like this. They're not going to like this stuff, so let's make sure that they're going to do it anyway. We'll have no revolution or nobody rising in revolt, right? But he says, let them gather all the food these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for the food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are here to come. All right, there's a lesson for us too, right? In prosperity, when God blesses you with even more, do you bless back in your tithes and offerings? It's all his money. Right? When God blesses you and you want to spend, do you save more? Right? For those days where you don't have? All of that is being faithful. Right? And Joseph literally models that for us here. And so what are we to learn from Joseph's example, seek God, seek his wisdom, will, and direction, I had said. All right. Psalms 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise simple. The law and the testimony of the Lord. What is that? It's scripture. It's God's word. 
How do we do that? You might ask, okay, Bill, so I see Joseph's example. He follows the Lord. He's a man that gives glory to God. He's seeking after his will and everything else. How do I do that? It doesn't really show us exactly how, right? All of Scripture tells us exactly how. <laughs> you can go to the rest of it, right? And, and just in Psalms 19.7, it tells us that the, Lord, the law of the Lord is perfect. There's no better. We can trust it. We can rely on it. It revives our soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's going to happen. When it's in his word, it is going to happen. It was interesting. I was talking with Dave a little bit ahead of time. right? Lots of people can try to poke holes in things in the Bible. But all the stuff in the Bible eventually is proving true. Archaeological records prove it true over and over again. People will speculate. They'll come up with reasons. And in the end, it gets proven true. Right? Every word is reliable and true. But I love that last part, making wise the simple. I can't always claim to be wise, but I know several occasions I could cite where I could be accused of being simple. Okay. How about Psalms 119? How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though your precepts, or through your precepts, I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Another very famous scripture, right, from David. Basically, his word tells us what we're to do. His word gives us the precepts for what we're to do. If anybody's a, a, theolo or a theologian or likes the study of theology, right, I'll geek out with you here a little bit. If not, you can just kind of throw it aside. Right? R.C. Sproul talks about God's will in three ways. And I won't put anybody on the spot or ask them because they've used so many words in there. You can get mixed up so easy. <laughs> right? The first wet type of will that he says is God's declarative will. And that's the natural laws and everything that God puts in. When God says, let there be light, light has no choice but to appear. It's all powerful. He declares it be, it is. All the natural laws are declarative. The second type of will is God's preceptive will. That's all the things that we find in his word. From the Ten Commandments, where he tells you, do this, don't do that, right? To all the advice for living and giving to the examples so that we don't have to repeat the same mistakes as those in the Bible, right? To the sending of his son, saving us despite ourselves and giving us a path to trust in his indwelling spirit so that we can be continually transformed into the image of his son. Right? All of that is set up through his perceptive will. The last will is what's called his permissive will. Right? And that's those things that he permits to happen. So while you wouldn't say the actions of Satan, which God permits to happen, is God's responsibility. No, there's Satan's full responsibility. It's within his will and God permits it. Right? Satan doesn't do stuff that surprises God. Doesn't happen that way, right? The hurricanes, as horrible as they are in Florida, right, and what we've seen down there is still under God's permissive will, and there's something in that. Um, several years ago, I was experiencing tremendous success, I'd say, within my own career. I had gone from one Fortune you know, 500 company to another. I had gotten just great raises were almost double my income at the time. 
and was loving where I was at. And then I fell victim to a reduction in force. And during that reduction in force, I can honestly tell you that everybody talked about what a great job I had done, how I was a loss to the company, all of that. And in my life, just like Joseph's, it made me realize that I can do everything right and God still has a reason for things to happen. So bad things do happen to good people under the permissive will. But what other scripture do we know? All right, how about God works all things together for good to those who love him? Ooh, can we see that in this story? Joseph certainly believes that, right? In my case, I can tell you, it was a wonderful lesson to learn. And God literally brought me through there now with the high hindsight, gave me new skills, had me relate to new people, and then gave me a different position later on, back with the company that I loved was reduced from, right, at higher pay, authority, influence, because of doing that. How about James 1 to 5? And this is probably one of those verses that we should all celebrate and celebrate well. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. So if you say, Lord, I don't know what to do. And you know what? It's like 10 things in the Bible tells you exactly what you should be doing in this thing. But it says God won't reproach you. He'll give it to you. So your honest prayers towards him, seeking him, asking him, he gives generously that wisdom. And that wisdom is knowledge plus the plan to act on that knowledge. Right, very rich. And last but not least here, Proverbs 1.14, where there is no guidance of people fall, but in the abundance of counselors there is safety. How else do you seek the will of God? In your church family. Right? By getting around godly people. I can look back at my life and see several times where maybe I'm just talking about something with somebody and I'm so proud of them and think it's great and I get a word from a brother or sister. And I go, oh, yep, thank you, Lord. <laughs> right? Or maybe you go, yeah, you know, the Lord told me I'm going to do this and do that and I think I, I should go do this and I'm going to do this. And you get a word from a brother and sister and go, oh, maybe I made a lot of that up myself. Right? So don't forsake meeting together. Don't forsake getting around in your small groups. Don't right, shy away from the accountability that comes in being right, in tight community with the other believers because that is a way for you to seek his will. But Joseph didn't stop there. Remember the third part? He trusted God. Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath Paneah. And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar's priest of On. Okay, so does anybody else, when you read that, get a little squeamish? Oh, what's happened in the Bible to just about everybody else who's ever had a foreign wife? They go astray, don't they? They get led astray. Solomon, David, right? I mean, you can go on. It's specifically forbidden in several places. Right? In the New Testament, do not be unequally yoked. Well, what's up with this? Joseph, right? Take you one. I think there's something very interesting about this, though. And she's uh, the daughter of a priest of the sun god. So Joseph went out over Egypt 
He was 30 and he went through it. But the part that's really interesting is I think we have to look further to see, was there anything in here mentioned about Joseph falling, being led away from him? No. So we can instantly assume because they didn't say he was led away, he wasn't really led away. And then further, we see that he had two sons. And did he name those sons Egyptian names? No. He named them Hebrew names, Manasseh and Ephraim. Right? And they became leaders of two of the tribes of Israel. So at no time is there any evidence in Scripture that Joseph departed or ever changed his position. And guess what? All of Egypt was fine with it. He held up under it all. And guess what? I would venture to say there's a strong chance, I don't know, maybe it's something to ask God when you get in there, that he saved his wife through that because she had her sons named Hebrew names as well. That name that he was given, Pharaoh called him. Anybody know what it means? It means he to whom secrets are revealed. We should all feel like that. You got so much knowledge in that Bible, you should feel like we are the people of God to whom secrets are revealed. The secrets and the truth of the universe, we have it. We have the way, his will. We have his good favor if his son is our savior. We can trust that he will do things. And he does them to glorify himself foremost, but also for our benefit and for our blessing. So Matthew 6, 21, another very famous, right? For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where is your treasure? Right? Do you, are your kids dedicated to God? Joseph's were in his example. How about Psalm 24, 1? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell within. We see the principle in Joseph's plan to connect, uh, collect those 20% and the fact that he went out and the fact that he stays faithful, that he was trusting God from the whole time. He never had a, never had a question in his mind that those things would not come, pa- come to pass. I wish I could say that for myself sometimes. There's a lot of things that I read and I'm like, Lord, can you make this come to pass now? Right? There's a lot of things I'll look around in my circumstances and I'm like, you know, change it. You give me promise that things are good for me. Change it now, please. And then when it doesn't, what do I do? Is it ever going to change? Right? I instantly become Eeyore instead of Joseph. Always me. Why? What's going on? I have to confess and repent of that. Joseph's example certainly was not that. What about Matthew 6? What does that scripture tell us? It tells us, do not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Right? Our Father is concerned for our eternal existence. Right? Not these up and down circumstances from the pit to the palace. Right? Not from prison to the palace. Not from the highs, the lows. It's the eternal that the Father is looking at. Why not live your life for Him and His glory? Trust Him. 
right? At the end of that, we, what do we want to hear him say? Well done, good and faithful servant, right? I've given you a little, now be entrusted with much. Deuteronomy, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. So what's that say? On Sunday we do this, and the rest of the time I need a break. I need a break from doing all the things that God says every once in a while, right? No, it becomes part of your life. It becomes part of who you are. Your whole life testifies. Every single moment, every single thing you do, right? First Timothy 5 says, Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Joseph provided for his family in the most important way first, with the faith that is truth. And I know that I, as I say that, and I pray with you, there are many parents' hearts who break because they're not exactly sure Right of the status of their loved ones. And that's not just parents, as people. You may know people and your heart breaks. I would tell you, continue, continue to pray because God has the power to change every heart. How else do we trust God? We talked about finances, with family, with vocation. Obeying everything, right? Those who you are earthly masters. Oh, we hate that word in the U.S. Masters, right? We just hate that word. This whole thing about slaves or being indentured or, or, or owing some other person something, right? When we go in, the words here are be faithful about your work. I mentioned that time that I had a riff. I never appreciated my job so much until I lost it. So maybe you've been in that situation. If you haven't yet, right, praise God, listen here, hope it never happens to you. Because it can be devastating, right, as you go through there. But appreciate your job. Work at it. Work at it how? As if unto the Lord. Everything unto the Lord. So as I finish here, let me just say that our lives have a lot in common with Joseph's life. Right? At times we can be in the pit, in the prison or the palace. How will you react? Will you be motivated to bring glory to God with your behavior? Will you seek him, his wisdom, allow a spirit to make your decisions? Will you be a good and faithful servant of all that he's entrusted you to? Your family, finances, work, ministry? Right? Will you trust him to determine your results? Maybe more importantly, will you trust him with your eternal life? I mean, if you don't trust him with your current finite life, how can you say you trust him with your eternal life? Ooh. That's something that hit me pretty hard as I was coming through here, and I hope it has the same effect to you. Right? The extent to which I believe and trust God is evidenced in my life every day.
I'm going to say that one more time. The extent to which I believe and trust God is evidence of my life every day. All right, brothers and sisters, the great news, the good news, the gospel is that you can trust him with both. Right? We can't make a way to heaven. God knows that. We're flawed. But instead, he sent his son to die on a cross to pay for all of our sins. Perfectly innocent, perfectly God, perfectly man, perfectly paying for everything. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Right? If you open it and invite him in, he'll come in and he'll dine with you. So I would tell you, if you haven't accepted Christ as your personal savior, as the one who atoned, the one who paid for all of your sins, and if you can't trust him each and every day and what he did to deliver you into eternal life, then you need to get that right right now. But maybe there's some of you, as I'm talking, listening, that the Holy Spirit convicted you of some other thing that you need to just repent from and turn around. Right? You need to make that dead to yourself and you need to turn over a new leaf. That can be covered right now. So bow your heads with me. Let me say a, a little prayer. And then on the way out, we're going to play a YouTube um, video praise that you can meditate on as we leave and depart. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you today sinners. And by that word sinners, I mean people who fall short of giving you glory of trusting you with everything, people who fall short despite our intentions, Father, in being faithful with the finances, the family that you give us. Truth be told, we mess up a lot of things. And then, Father, we're confronted by an even truer truth that we cannot earn our way to heaven, that because of those shortcomings, there's no way we're getting in. But, Father, you sent your Son your one and only beloved son, to die for us on a cross so that we can have eternal life. Father, I want that in my life. Would you come in here today into my life? And one, just help me repent of all those shortcomings. Help me repent of all those sins and follow you in a new way. Father, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want my life to be a testimony to your glory. Father, would you do that today for me? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.